I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I love Fixer Up. <laughs> what do you love about it? It's the only thing I can think of that makes me want to move to Waco. Like I, <laughs> I want to move there. I want to like eat at the Magnolia Bakery. Mm-hmm. I want to buy some goats. I want to shop at the farm. Mm-hmm. I want my husband to be best friends with Chip, so he comes and puts in our air conditioner. Like I want the whole Magnolia lifestyle. I love HGTV, and I found out I'm not alone. It turns out the guilty pleasure isn't just mine. It belongs to almost everyone I talk to. And in my new podcast, HGTV and Me, I'm going to talk to all kinds of people, listeners, friends, other podcasters about everything that is weird and wonderful about everyone's favorite DIY network. Love It or List It is actually a deep drama looking at uh, the tension in relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's HGTV's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? (laughs) It's basically just a show for hoarders. If those people would just like just clean up all their crap or get rid of like a couple of pairs of shoes, like they wouldn't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars remodeling their homes. I feel like you know why I'm calling. Well, I feel like Wait. We Okay, go ahead. We're going to have a chippervention right now. <laughs> Want to share your thoughts about HGTV? Call my podcast hotline. The number is 725-333-2241 or visit HGTVpodcast.com for other ways to get in touch. Who knows? I may even put you on the show. I'm calling because we have to talk about love it or list it. I am convinced that David and Hillary are in a torrid love affair and literally love it or list it is basically like their foreplay. You think that Hillary and David are having an affair? Do you really think that? I kind of hope so. Because <laughs> it would really bring some like wonderful drama to this show. <laughs> I just like to think that there's like a lurid affair because these people are heinous to each other in the way that people only are before they're about to have makeup sex. But they had a whiteboard that they would draw <laughs> the rooms and then they'd be like, now we're going to take down this wall. And they would erase the line on the whiteboard. And it was the best. And Hillary has the shittiest job in the entire world, right? She does. And she dresses beautifully for it. Like, (laughs) I would wear a ratty hoodie and some gross old sneakers. And she's like, let me put my Louboutins on and crawl through your crawl space and tell you what I have hopes for it. Do you have a favorite property, brother? Um... The hot one. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, 
We were forced into the decision to buy this home because the house. It looks like a compound, first of all. <laughs> it's very Branch Davidian, you guys. Right? It's Branch Davidian modern. Hillary comes in. I think we should just burn it down, right? <laughs> I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and HGTV and Me will be hitting your podcast feed soon. Subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite audio. HGTV and Me, you won't want to miss it. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about pop culture, true crime, journalism, and this week, a pair of reviews. We'll talk about Black Hands, a true crime podcast from New Zealand, and the Netflix series Ozark. Some call it diet breaking bad, but can it break free of that comparison? So joining me now to get all of that and a whole lot more done is my true crime co-author, real life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. Rebecca, by this time next week, we will be in Anaheim, California, losing our award <laughs> at Podcast Movement. You mean our uh, like best TV podcast? Best TV podcast. One out of 10 nominated yes. in 18 categories. I think West Wing Weekly is going to win. What do you think? Oh, I think um, you must remember this. That one last time, though. I know, but it's still, I mean, the production value is really good. Yeah. West Wing Weekly, I mean, nice, but there's just... Josh Molina, it's like the actual it, West Wing just, people are like There's not a lot of... <laughs> All right. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and once again, certified parrot head, Laura <laughs> Bricker. Good evening, Laura Bricker. Good evening. Wow, my list keeps getting longer and longer. Hey, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to you, Laura. It's not my fault. You just I... Stop being so interesting. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and finally, our favorite negative Nelly, Cynical Simon, and Doubting Danny, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby Ball. What's up? You know what's up? Hashtag casting crime writers. That's what's up, guys. Oh, explain that to people who don't have Twitter. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's true. I forget that not all of our tens of thousands of listeners are on Twitter, just a small percentage of them. But the small percentage that are there, they're pretty active when it comes to our podcast. Would you not agree, guys? Oh, yeah. I get recipes. I get all sorts of things from our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, we saw this thing happening with some of our biggest fans on Twitter and they were speculating, I guess, about who would play us in a TV show or a film about us. Uh, and I saw this Twitter thread happening and I saw all these like actors and actresses names getting thrown out and I traced it back to its source. Mm -hmm. And its source is one of our most devoted and most active fans and most ardent Twitterers. Not anymore. <laughs> so I just, um, I gave her a call today. I messaged her. Oh, she gave right. me her phone number. And I just would love just to play like five minutes of this five minute conversation I had with her for you guys right now. You guys ready? Yeah, we're all ready. All right, let's do it. Hello? Hey, Meredith, it's Rebecca Lavoie. How are you? Hey, I am good. This is like some alternate reality. <laughs> 
I'm really excited to talk to you. I don't know how you want our audience to know who you are. So why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell me how we at Crime Writers On know you? Well, my name is Meredith. On Twitter, I'm Mermay87, M-E-R-E-M-A-Y-87. And Already I blocking right think now. I know you, but I really don't. I've just been tweeting at you obsessively since like 2015, really since the show began. Um, I started terrorizing Toby and then I kind of evolved from there. Yeah, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. But yeah, Twitter friend turned... I hope real friends. Oh, yeah. I, I would say you're definitely in the real friend zone at this point. You started a hashtag a couple weeks ago, uh, hashtag Crime Writers Casting. And it was because you had some ideas about if there were a movie that was about us. I don't know why there would be such a thing. Uh, who would be in it, a movie or TV show? And I'd like to know who you think should play the four of us. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, that hashtag took on a mind of its own. It was insane to watch it just explode. And people had a really, really interesting take. For you, Rebecca, my personal favorite was Gracie Hart from Miss Congeniality. Sandra Bullock? You pulling a donut out of the boot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I like world peace, but I will kill you. It seems like very up your alley. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to say, overwhelmingly, people saw Tina Fey, Hmm. which which is a great compliment, I think. She's funny. She's smart. So who do you think is the best pick for Kevin? Oh, my gosh. Uh-oh. We got some amazing ones for Kevin. One what of my favorite mean? was The Lego Man from the movie with the goat team glasses. <laughs> which was fantastic. Someone worked really hard to find that. We got some interesting ones, though. Johnny Depp. I, I don't really see it. Mm. Nope. Um, Patton Oswalt, which mm. I kind of loved. Newman was mm. maybe my favorite. <laughs> but I have to say, the winner was a young De Niro with a side of Nathan Lane. Hmm. I kind of thought about it, and I was like, that's kind of perfect. All right, so Laura Bricker, uh, who's your favorite pick for Laura Bricker? Oh, my gosh, there were so many good ones. Jenna Fisher from The Office yep. was one of our top ones. We really felt like Pam could do a good job. We? Um, who's Witherspoon we? Was one. <laughs> we. It's like, it's like me and my sounding board. It's me and the Academy <laughs> that's casting this. My, it's my new online friends that really took to this mm-hmm. idea. Molly Shannon was another one. Mm-hmm. I personally really liked Kate McKinnon as the cat lady on SNL, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. she's like, like creepily petting the cats and kind of, I don't know, I could see Stampy in there. I could see, you know, I could see really incorporating a lot of the different elements um, of the show. But I think overall, Jenna Fisher is a clear winner. And so finally, um, probably either the easiest or trickiest casting of the whole podcast uh, lands on Toby. And I want to know who your pick would be for him. Well, clearly people are very sexually attracted to Toby. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, people really ran with that silver fox bag. I mean, Richard Gere, we had Harrison Ford. Um, My favorite that I put in was Debbie Downer from SNL. Um, I thought that that could be good. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, because why not? Why not? He can run for president. He can be Toby. Mm Mm-hmm. So another good one was Matt Damon, which I could actually see. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt. People were kind of all over the map on that one, but I think I think I'm I'm kind of a toss up between. Well, it's hard because I realize I cannot place Toby's age. Yeah. I have no idea. Like he could be 
35 or he could be 50. I have no idea. Hmm. But I, I have no Matt idea. But I Damon could be a good fit. <laughs> People had a lot of opinions, though, about him. Well, Meredith, I can't thank you enough for being absolutely one of our most engaged and I know one of my favorite fans of the show on Twitter. You are the best. You're the best. This is so exciting. I am such a fangirl. I am like freaking out right now. You need to tell Toby I said hi because he's like my Twitter crush. I will tell him. He's going to hear this. He's going to hear you say that. He's going to hear it tonight when we tape the show. I'll play that bit of tape for him and he'll hear it. I can hear a blushing. Any special message you want to send to Toby right now? Oh, my gosh. I can't even think. I'm so I'm at a loss for words. I love Toby so much. He's so negative, and it's like it's like my alter ego. Yep, kind of. I'm yep. like, yeah, I'm like that too. Toby just makes people googly eyed, but I also love Laura. Tell Laura, I just hope Stampy's doing well. Yeah, Stampy's doing um, fine, as far as I know. He's so slutty. That's my favorite thing. Is how slutty her cat is. <laughs> he is. He's disgusting. All right. So that was uh, Meredith, uh, our wonderful, wonderful, maybe number one fan. Tonight, anyway. Yeah, yeah, but she's not weird. I'll tell you, you talk about like calling a number uh-huh. one fan on the phone and you worry, like, what am I doing? She's actually rad. She's mm-hmm. so cool. So, Toby, I'm going to just start with you. Let's just take all of Meredith's gushing off the table. How do you feel about being hands down the sexiest sex symbol on this podcast, at least according to the listeners who were trying to cast you uh, in the movie about Crime Writers On. I'm an audio sex symbol. Apparently you are. I don't, I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> you sound sexy. Yeah. You don't look sexy. Uh, yeah, it's my Barry White voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, to be fair, you had one other pick. Like, you had a super sexy pick that I loved. Somebody uh, said you should be cast by Alexander Skarsgård. He's the guy who played Nicole Kidman's husband oh. on Big Little Lies, and he was in oh, yeah. True Blood. As like yeah. he's like the giant Viking cigars guard. Yeah. What do you think of that pick? That would be, see. I came up with my alternative pick, which was like the attractive crime writers. Like if we were actually attractive, <laughs> here's who would play us out of these picks. So that was my Toby uh, for Laura. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that my fellow podcasters aren't attractive. I'm mostly speaking for myself. But <laughs> if I were to pick the attractive crime writers, it would be Alexander. Skarsgård as Toby, Reese Witherspoon as Laura, Mark Ruffalo as Kevin, and Angelina Jolie as me. That's what I would pick. Those were actual wow. suggestions. Reese, how where did that come from? I don't know. I don't That's know. Weird. So, Laura, what do you think about like who should play you? Some of the other ones for you were Charlize Theron. Uh, Callista Flockhart wow. from the Ally McBeal era. Mm-hmm. Deborah oh Messing. Um, Anna Friel, who plays Marcella on the BBC show. Claire Danes. And uh, my favorite for wow. you, actually, was Ellie Camper, who plays uh, Kimmy, Kimmy Schmidt. Schmidt. And she's also in The Office. And she is very <laughs> earnest and kind of badass. So she would be my pick for you. What do you think, Laura? I, I don't even know what to think. It's all sort of surreal, you know? I feel just like our super fan who just really couldn't believe what was happening when you called her. I mean, it's it's just completely out there to me. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, are you freaked out by this entire exercise? Uh, Toby got, like, The Rock. Yeah. And, like, all these sexy guys. <laughs> and, and you got... The best was... Let's wait for was it. Robert De Niro with the side of Nathan Lane. No, that wasn't the best. You got, and here's your full list. Yeah, Okay. Newman from Seinfeld. Jesus Wayne God. Knight, obviously. <laughs> Newman. Kevin James. Patton Oswalt, who people say that you're his vocal twin, which I guess... I'm, I'm starting to see a pattern here, and it's shaped like a pear. <laughs> Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Jesus. 
Brian Cranston. Uh, okay. Ryan Gosling. Oh, all right. Now we're getting to the good part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Lego guy with the goatee and glasses. Oh, that's, that's... Robert Downey Jr. Mm, okay. Johnny Depp. Nope. <laughs> uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Two method for you. Two method. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, which is my pick. Michael Weatherly Wait. from NCIS. Vincent D'Onofrio hates me. On he Twitter. hates you so much. <laughs> God. He hates is that you the so much. guy? He was uh, Gorn on Law and Order Criminal Intent. Yeah, he hates our podcast. We had an Law episode where we talked about <laughs> talked about one of his episodes, and we laughed at him. And uh, he he saw it on Twitter, listened to it, and then. He lambasted us for two yeah. days about how mean we were. But by the way, like I, I, I love thought him the still. Amanda Knox people were mean. That's exactly why he should play you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the creative tension would be incredible. It would be incredible. And maybe the most out of the box pick, Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, Denzel could pull it off. Yeah. He could pull it off. He's probably the best actor on that list. <laughs> I mean, well, there's De Niro too, but yeah. Well, big thank you to Meredith and to everyone who participated in hashtag crime writers casting because man it is weird to only have a voice out there on the internet and people wonder what you look like but um i think some people were going off of our twitter bio photos oh, too. when we were yeah. younger and thinner well, and we don't better looking <laughs> yes <laughs> they don't have to tune in yeah my photos from like 10 years ago oh mine that's too from my photo i'm like yeah my, oh, mine's I, a completely different person <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy who came in the frame and for the record toby do you want to like reveal how old you actually are? Today is the 16th of August. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the 23rd, I will be 50. Ooh. Wow. So Meredith was like right in 50% of her guests. Mm-hmm. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> wow. And thanks for thanks. giving your date of birth to the world. <laughs> Nothing bad will happen after that. Yeah. And my social security number. Quick, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Cut, cut to his a microphone off. Quick, quick. All right. <laughs> All right. I suppose we should move on to the actual show. What do you guys think? Should we? Should we mm-hmm. do it? Mm-hmm. Our first topic for conversation tonight is Black Hands, a family mass murder. In 1994, five members of the Bain family were found murdered in their home in Dunedin, New Zealand. The crime had been the subject of two trials, a guilty verdict and a not guilty verdict, and is essentially New Zealand's crime of the century, with plenty of division about whether or not David Bain, who's convicted and then exonerated in the murders, is actually guilty. This is the subject of a podcast, Black Hands, a family mass murder. Journalist Martin Van Bainen seeks to re-examine that question in Black Hands. The 10-part podcast looks at the case in detail, and it's one that many of our listeners requested that we check out and review. And I really hope they don't regret asking us to do so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, first, I want to talk about the case itself. This is the first podcast we've talked about that involves a mass murder, in particular, the mass murder of a family. And the first episode does open with a description of the crime scene and what, you know, police saw when they arrived and all that stuff. I actually thought this part was pretty compelling. What did you think, Kevin, of just sort of the setup it, of the show? I, this is obviously a super famous crime in New Zealand, and I had never heard of it. And so this was a good way to get me as a listener into what was happening. It was very thorough. Walked through the house. And, you know, of course, what happens in those first hours when the crime is reported and police respond is always, always so critical to the overall spine of any crime story. So... I, I was in for that first episode, and it, I started to fade after that. I know you did. You, to full disclosure, you didn't make it through all ten. No, that's not true. You did. You did make it through all. I ten. did make it through all ten. Okay. Now, Laura, oh. you um, 
are also a true crime author like Kevin and I. Yes. The setup of walking into the crime scene and describing the crime scene and this really gruesome crime scene with these, you know, five dead people and this one survivor of what potentially was, you know, uh, a suicide murder situation. What did you think of the setup of the show? Did you find it compelling? So the first episode, I, I thought I didn't know anything about this case. And I, I don't think it mattered too much how you told the beginning of this story, because the murder scene and the number of people involved was something that was so compelling that you are, you know, me personally, I'm going to listen because I'm just like, oh my, like the whole family. I mean, it's like one of those horrible things that you hear about that doesn't really happen on that scale very often. You know, when I when I was listening to that, I was just going, oh, you know, just as they were going through the house, it was definitely a very gruesome scene. And in a case that if you look it up at all, this is the most well-known case in New Zealand. So I was coming in blind, but I think there was definitely plenty of information um, for those of us that didn't know any of the background. Now, Toby, the podcast, one of the things that happens near the beginning is it sets up a conundrum that feels a little bit familiar to me when I hear it, which is one of two people had to have committed this crime. Either the father, Robin, who's dead and who uh, left... Potentially a suicide note saying, you know, something like you were the only one who deserved to live, referring to the son, David, stay, I think it was, yeah. who survived. Sorry, yeah. Or the son, David, who is the survivor, who is, you know, brought to the police station, later makes the statement to his aunt, which we hear in the opening credits of the podcast where she describes him saying, Black hands. Black hands. Yes, yes. That was my favorite part. The police 911 call is your favorite part? The part where the guys go and they're all dead. That part. I love that part. <laughs> Just as a piece of audio, you mean? You're not like a yeah, sick no, person. Yeah, no, it's the audio. It. Okay. I know. Just to clear that up. Okay. There's not a lot of good audio in this podcast, <laughs> but that was one. But uh, Toby, yes. <laughs> back to the question I was going to ask you, Toby. This conundrum and this setup, if it had to be you know, one of these two people, are there problems with that either or setup, either as a storytelling device or as, you know, just from an investigative standpoint, like it has to be one of these two solutions? I mean, this is familiar, right? We heard it in to some extent in the first season of Serial One, right, where it's either one person is lying or the other person's lying, thereby locking you in. What do you think of that, Toby? Can I just point out that after saying, is there a problem with either or? Yeah. You then did followed up with two either ors yes it's a very good point you're right i am rhetorically okay. deficient i'm done um, <laughs> no i don't think it's like serial season one where you know while it was sort of a two-person story you know there's always the possibility that it was something completely different and it, and it may very well have been something completely different in this case where it just like legitimately there's it's one of two people and only one of them still alive. So really, there's a, a certain amount of evidence. And then there's this guy's story mm -hmm. uh, or stories. In that way, I don't know if it's unique, but it, it, it's certainly unusual that it would be sort of that clear cut. So that seemed, I, I assume that's why it's such a, um, you know, storied case in New Zealand. So I, I didn't have a, a problem with the setup, just being that that seems to be what actually happened. Mm -hmm. And the way you, you can see that the way it kind of plays out would lend to a lot of narrative possibilities, uh, which I'm not entirely sure they 
took advantage of. Well, let's just get right to it. The narrative itself. We have 10 episodes. Right. They're all very detailed. Very. And it's kind of laid out like a book in some ways, like a true crime book mm-hmm. in that it's like the, yeah. the set. Well, Kevin's shaking his head, which it's, our it's podcast more, listeners can't see, but he is. But hold on. It's, it's, it's sort of laid out like a book in that it is chapters. The chapters have names. And then each of those chapters does a deep dive into those things. It's like the family's history, the one sibling, the other sibling, the evidence, the did David do it, the did Robin do it kind of one. It seems like it should maybe work. Kevin, what did you think of the structure and the way this was laid out as a narrative? Well, to me, it it was more like a persuasive essay Mm -hmm. than it was a retelling or an investigation. investigation. Look, not all true crime podcasts need to be investigations. But I think what the producer's goal was was to make a persuasive case that David, who's been exonerated, is the killer. Right. And I think that was the goal, and I think that they did that. And it was super thorough. It was maybe too thorough. I mean, there was just, you know, there was, I think, way too much there. And and for those of us who are not familiar with the story, there's a lot of narrative holes that we have that we don't understand why this case, what what's so interesting about this. Huge holes. Huge holes, the, yeah. huge, the huge missing chapter to me is... Why do people think this guy didn't do it? They never really. There's get no into explanation as you know why <laughs> in the culture and and there's a you know from what I'm reading, there's a large part of the population that feels he's innocent. There's also no discussion about why his first conviction was overturned right. and that process. And so I know that I did some offline research to get some background on what I'm listening to. And Laura, I think you did the same thing. Yeah, I did, because I was confused when we're going like at David's first trial, at David's second trial, at David's first trial. And I'm like, why does he have a second trial? What happened at the... I just... I, I was not getting the whole story. And I was thinking eventually that it was going to come out. Confession, I didn't actually finish this podcast. I, I only made it through, which was the episode with Robin. That's the one I made it through. So So maybe it did come out. But I felt like I was... It should have been like a bullet point to me right up front in the in the beginning of this series so that you understood kind of what happened, why it happened, and then start going back and maybe poking holes in that. What do you think, Toby, about the narrative structure and perhaps how it could have been presented in a different way to help Laura get through the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Kevin's Kevin's right on when he talked about it being a... Uh... Uh, a persuasive essay. I think it does the same thing that a lot of podcasts that we've listened to, which is they, it has an outlook and it kind of presents the case for that outlook and doesn't really give you much of the sort of reasoned case in the other direction. Like, I think I liked it more than it sounds like other people did. I, I just thought it was, it was super dense mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about like, how do people listen to podcasts this seemed like the kind of one where you would sit in a chair with headphones on and your eyes closed and like really focus because it like goes pretty fast and it's it's pretty yeah. detailed at times. And, you know, when I'm listening to it, like I'm at the gym or I'm, you know, making dinner or I'm in my car going somewhere. So sometimes it was like, you know, you lose like two or three minutes in those in those situations sometimes. And then this was just so dense that it was hard to figure out what was going on. I think the other thing for me is that, I mean, it sounded like a magazine article being read Mm -hmm. right? in that there's not it doesn't really take advantage of the podcasting format as much as some do. 
certainly the guy who's the narrator and the person who's done all the research doesn't really come across as a personality at all. Mm -hmm. You know, he basically reads what he's done. He kind of like pipes in with what he thinks about things. But other than describing himself as being kind of old and overweight when he's talking about how long (laughs) it took him to walk somewhere, like you you just don't really, you don't really have a sense of his personality in the way you did with, um, you know, uh, Sarah or with uh, Madeline. Madeline Barron, yeah. Madeline Barron, exactly. You know, so I think it was... It seemed like the kind of thing that if you were like a longtime journalist and you wanted to make a podcast and you didn't like spend a ton of time thinking about what would make a podcast different than just reading an article aloud, it didn't seem to pass that test to me. Here's a podcast that didn't have a drive test. It did have a walk test, though, Toby reminds us. <laughs> I walked it out. and uh, <laughs> I think that part of the, the thing that was keeping it back was the production level. And it certainly did not have an abundance of supporting audio. Right. It has audio from the second trial, which is valuable. And they, you know, apologize. It is what it is. It's not, you know, studio quality. It's not terrible. It's not as bad as some of the audio I produced for Undisclosed, frankly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was fine. (laughs) You could follow it. But I think like even the selection of what to play at times was just sort of like, this is not somebody who's done this. Right. Like they're talking, there was one where they talk about the blood experts, you know, one of the lab guys, and he's explaining about blood on the rifle. There is this long, like almost two minute long soundbite of him on the stand explaining why is this red thing blood? And is right. this, like it was something that, like didn't need to be a Q&A, Q&A, it, Q&A. It, it didn't need to be presented because yeah. it wasn't really even that important. And then he would explain, you know, what he said later. You know, it, let me hear that. Let yeah. me hear the, the wow moment or the important moment. Yeah. I don't want to hear, you know, all this sort of interstitial stuff. And that was sort of the tone of the whole thing was the narrator's voice and audio from the trial. Yeah. So following up on what Toby said and how people listen to podcasts, and, and I'm somebody, and I've said this before, I need to listen when I don't have distractions. And I listened to this one in the car when I was taking a long drive. I listened to this when I'm doing a really big walk in the morning. But yet somehow I was not retaining any of what was being <laughs> disseminated yeah. in this podcast. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I'm like, I'm paying attention and it was almost like the teacher in Charlie Brown was like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so today I was like walking and I was listening to that last episode I listened to. And I'm like, you know, what the problem is, is all we have. And I started timing how long we have the narrator talking before he intersperses any other kind of audio. And he would go for 10 minutes yeah. without seeming to take a breath. So it's not broken up. And he was just like the clip that he was going at. If you were not familiar with this case. You can't retain all this level of minutia that he's just like spitting out at you. It, it was just way too much to take in. And I'm like, the fact that we didn't have any new interviews, we have the old trial audio, and then we have this bizarre thing they did where they had actors read old police statements, yeah. which was a somewhat an attempt to break up just having this one guy talking. You know, but if you're going to do that... I, why not use more of the trial audio to break it up? It was just, it was so, it was like the black hands hypnosis for me. Like, you know, when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I passed my exit because I was in my own little world. I yeah. mean, that's kind of what happened when I was listening to this. I'm like, 
what just happened? And then all of a sudden Something you hear again. Incest? <laughs> uh, yeah. The next episode started. I'm like, oh, I'm on another episode. <laughs> yeah. So it was just, I feel like, I think this was kind of almost like a journalistic experiment because podcasts are just, you know, gaining so much momentum and so much interest. And he's like, hey, this is a really big case. We should do a podcast. But it makes me wonder if they actually listened to any other true crime podcast to see how they were structured before they did this. Right. Um, because there wasn't like a compelling narrative in the way that it was told. And I think there could have been. And I think it was too long. I mean, I think 10 episodes was way too long. Way, way, way too long. I mean, it was like he was working for one of the attorneys with the level of information he had, which if you're really interested in this case is great. But if you have no knowledge of this case, you're just like, what just happened? Yeah. So one of the things that I, you know, would just like to point out is the value of an editor in a project like this, right? So I think, and I will stand by it, that if I were to take the 10 episodes of audio that this podcast is, and they allowed me just to have them, to take them as they are, and recut them, even including like the music interstitials and everything, I don't even need the raw tape. I could probably make five pretty good episodes out of this story. Um, it was just too much. Like we had in the, at the beginning, there was the that would part- be solving one problem right. with the podcast, That's but not right. everything. It would yeah, yeah. It, it would be solving one, but so at the beginning we have the setup of the crime scene, which I actually found compelling, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then there a second episode, I believe it was, kind of went into like the freaky weirdness of the mm-hmm. family, right? Yeah. Yep. And you're like, oh. This family's weird. Like, that's interesting. These people are off the grid. They have, like, uh, obviously there are a lot of issues with mental health. I'm not saying mental health issues are weird, but there are other weird things with this family. If you listen to this podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about. Who's got the most devil in them. Exactly. Who's got the most devil in them, this potential incest thing. It's really interesting. But then we hit those same notes over and over and over again as well as contradictory notes, right? So we hear that Robin potentially is having this, like, abusive incest relationship with his daughter. And then you're from all these other teachers who were like, he was wonderful. He was so innovative. And it's like, no, you can't do that later after you've done this dump. It kind of goes back and forth. It's not a cohesive narrative. So the way that I would restructure it is this. Crime scene family but start with the interviews that make them seem like kind of okay you know like (laughs) david was in the chorus robin was a teacher and then you know get into the but were they do the thing where the color is the turn that's weird do the you know aunt stuff with david freaking out him being in jail giving the thing first trial then the missing pieces how did the exoneration happen? And why does anyone think this guy is innocent? It's missing, right? Yeah. And I look, I think that maybe that this that this podcast is not produced for people in the United States. I mm-hmm. think I, I the more I think about it, the more I th- feel like this is addressed to the people of New Zealand who know this case inside and out. And this is going to be my persuasive argument that shows why David did it. Mm-hmm. Because there's none of that other sort of background. But we never there's got no a mystery. why. We never got a why David did it. Well, I, well, I guess you really can't answer why. <laughs> right, right. But, but if you get to the tenth episode, which is all just Martin speaking, and he starts off by saying it could be Robin, it could be David. I think it's David, and right. here's why. Which I was like, spoiler alert! I was by like, way. what? <laughs> you can't like if you were in Los Angeles, they'd be running down your door right now with a you know with a lawsuit. You know, I guess that's how it goes there. It's kind of like their OJ. If somebody did an OJ podcast, they wouldn't have to start. 
necessarily at played at USC, you mm-hmm. know, unless you're doing again like you know the whole his whole life. But it just sort of like just kind of like picked up and and went from there. And by the way, you don't have to be James Fitz Fitzgerald to start thinking. It sounds like the son did it. <laughs> he walked home and everybody's dead but him. <laughs> and uh, and he like oh I'm gonna pass out and I'm gonna pretend to have a fit when you ask me what happened. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was bizarre. Well, there was a huge missed opportunity, I think, or I don't know what's available, but there was one point at which he talked about David speaking at these innocence conferences. Yeah, I was thinking that. And it's like, there's your opportunity to get this guy on tape, because you know there have got to be videos of those things out there, Mm -hmm. Uh, and people maybe at the conference talking about why he's allegedly innocent, you know, and so forth. Huge missed opportunity, right? Yeah, and just, I'm, I'm going to give, like, the thumbnail sketch, and I'm probably going to get it wrong because I don't, I'm not an expert in, in the New Zealand legal system, but essentially after the first conviction, basically had an advocate who proclaimed his innocence and wrote four different books right. about why David didn't do it and why Robin did. And even though he lost uh, his appeal with you know the the higher courts in New Zealand, he went to a a, a court called the I think I think it's the Privy Court or the Privy Council in London. You just yeah. sound racist now talking about yeah. these things you don't know about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Laura Baxter. Essentially, it, it was the Queen's Council and basically asked the Queen through her representatives to throw the case out because what they said was an error the judge made by not allowing a defense witness to testify about the daughter being a prostitute. And that would like lend some credence. So that's why he got the second trial. And then after the, the acquittal, the jurors like all went up to David and like hugged him and hung out and even went to like a celebratory party afterwards. Yeah, they wanted to send him a birthday cake when he was like on trial, right? Yeah, you know, so it was... it was. That's also odd. misconduct, right? Like, well, it would be here. Yeah, it would be here. But, you know, it, it would just sort of... But you can't have an exoneration overturned. Like, that's not a thing. No, you not can't. Not a thing here. It's a thing in South Africa. Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. Here. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to spend... But that's all stuff that would have, you know, sort of shaped why we were here and talking about exactly. this in the first place. And it place. was miss- It was a missing chapter. Yeah, it was a big missing chapter. Huge missing chapter. Well, I, I just want to go around the horn. I'm going to start with Laura so that we can start low and then... <laughs> Maybe do a step up with Toby <laughs> and then go to Kevin. What did you guys think of Black Hands, A Family Mass Murder? Would you recommend that our listeners subscribe to and check it out? Laura Bricker, go. I'm going thumbs down, but I'm going to do a caveat with that. People that really are interested in just extreme minutia of cases and people who already maybe know about this case, you might want to listen to it. It's too dense for me. It was the way that it was structured. I just couldn't deal with. And so I will say thumbs down. Toby Ball. Would you like to uh, lighten the room a little bit? Yeah, I, I'd give it a thumb sideways. You know, it's got some pretty major flaws, and I think it's a tough listen. But I do think that especially the first half of it is pretty interesting learning about this family before they get into the minutia of the evidence and the trials and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs down. And I'm sorry, because the guy who did it seems very nice, Martin. But it's, to me, a classic case of a reporter or presenter caring too much about the little darlings of a story to tell it well. I do not need to hear the same details over and over again. I do not need to hear five minute long excerpts from court transcripts just because you think they're important. Like I need to hear something that makes me want to stay in the story. And there were huge gaps in that area in this podcast. So I'm going to say to our listeners, 
maybe listen to the first episode, but do not subscribe. Don't go down the rabbit hole unless, like Laura, you wish to be hypnotized. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I'd say you could listen to the first episode and the last episode. Because <laughs> the 10th the episode was actually and very your concise. And probably won't change but, because no, the whole change. podcast basically... <laughs> David freaking did it, right? According to this podcast. I don't know a lot about this case, uh, but... Yeah, it seems... Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's <laughs> really is hard to sustain that Robin suicide <laughs> argument, I'm just going to say. Look, I, I would say that if you already know this case, you're from New Zealand, this is something you're interested in, then I'm going thumb sideways for you. Otherwise, I'd say, you know, I, I love that our listeners brought this to us, but I just don't feel like this was well told or understandable for all the reasons that we discussed. So I'm a thumbs down, despite the fact that it it really sounds like it's an interesting case, an interesting protagonist that wasn't really developed, you know, a very troubled family, you know, like what could have brought this family together in a good way? Maybe it would be if they had like better family meals together and they could have got that with plated. Oh, that would have fixed everything. Yeah, plated (laughs) would have, if they had plated in New Zealand. The strategy could have been averted. Oh, I'm certain that it could have. I'm certain we're going to cut that part <laughs> no, out. No, that, that's staying in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Plated is the meal kit for people who love food. Uh, they send you each week the exact amount of high-quality ingredients needed to cook the dish of your choosing. No grocery shopping necessary. We love doing this kind of thing at home where we get all the ingredients out and yep. we like prep it and we're everything fans. and you could probably you know pick up a cookbook and go to the grocery store and like or just go through your pantry and start putting this stuff together but you won't ever like be able to get everything that you need this month there's a uh, steak stir fry Mm -hmm. and it requires two ounces of oyster sauce. Oh yeah, I don't have that. I bet there is nobody here who has oyster sauce. And if you go buy oyster sauce, it's going to be bigger than two ounces and it's going to be like $18 and you're never going to use it. You're never going to use it. The Southwest (laughs) Turkey Burgers. I had those tonight. And you had the Chipotle paste that you never would have. Or I would have had a huge can of it and then it would have sat in my refrigerator after I used the one tablespoon I needed and it would have gone bad because I didn't need it all. And last week I had the coconut chicken curry. Again, Ooh. it was very tasty, but it ha- it was delicious. But it had like, you know, a small thing of fish sauce. Like who has fish sauce? But it's great because these are the little things that make plated meals so delicious and so fun to make. I love spending the time in the kitchen with my family, we learn to cook Watching together. Watching me make plated. Yeah, it's good. We actually <laughs> let the kids, hey, throw this in. It's, it's fun. Everybody looks forward to our plated night. So discover your ideal dinner experience. Go to plated.com slash crime, crime to get 50% off your first plated box. That's 50% off for a limited time only. Terms apply. See plated.com slash crime for details. That's plated.com slash crime. I love eating. <laughs> But you know what else I love? What? I love reading. <laughs> Did Toby just And do I bring that? that up because today's show is supported by Book of the Month. Oh, my God. What is happening right now? <laughs> I know. It's an alternate universe. I, Toby, are you going to tell us about Book of the Month? I sure am. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal, to make sure you love what you read. They search high and low for new books that you wouldn't have found on your own and narrow down to the top five each month. My experience, having done this for two months, is that there's like a minimum of three of those books that I definitely want to read. <laughs> this is why Meredith loves him. Because you're sexy when you talk about books. Keep going, Toby. This is amazing. Yeah, so pricing starts at just $10 for new hardcover releases that usually cost $15 somewhere. I usually <laughs> see them for about 25 <laughs> Book of the Month is a great value. 
Whether you get a book once a month or once a season, the exclusive prices will save you tons. This month, I saw a book that was called The Blinds by Adam Sternberg, and I picked it. And then it was one of those things where once I picked it and the next day when I was just like kind of cruising around the web, I like saw it like a whole bunch of places. And then it was like counting the days until it arrived in my mailbox. I had to finish my other book really quick. And then I like devoured it in three days. So it's super easy. You just click on it and it shows up in the mail. Book of the Month. It's bound to delight. And get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers. How does it feel? <laughs> Again, that's bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers. There we go. <laughs> well, Toby... Do you know what I like to get in the mail, Toby? What is happening I like to right get now? my latest delivery from La Tote. What? La Tote wait, is. Wait. What is happening? I have. I do I, not I was, I was thinking we were going with the feminine hygiene product. I don't know anything about this. What is happening? Remember how we just complained about one guy talking for 20 fucking minutes? <laughs> Go ahead, Laura. We're mixing Laura. it up. Laura, this is incredible. And I feel like I don't even know what's happening. La Tote is like one of my favorite things that I have discovered through this podcast and I am telling everybody all the time about Liptote. It is basically a personalized box of brand name rental clothing and accessories that's delivered right to your door. And so it is an incredible selection of workwear, weekend wear, everything in between. It helps you look great for any occasion. So what I love about Latote is I say I'm going to like a wedding or like this weekend I am going to my annual parrot head party at the Jimmy Buffett concert. <laughs> of course you are. I needed something new to wear because I've been wearing the same tropical shirt for the last few years. Well, what do you know? Latote had a really awesome little tank top with some tropical floral print on it. And I was like, I'm going to look so awesome at that tailgating party this weekend. So that was very cool. And you enter all your sizes in. So everything fits. You enter all your measurements. So when you're getting the clothes, they'll like give you little suggestions and say, based on your measurements, um, you know, our stylist thinks this might be a little too tight or this might be a little too loose. So you're getting clothes that fit. And, you know, as soon as you send the box back, they send you new clothes, which is awesome. What about you, Rebecca? Have you tried the Latote? Of course I've tried the Latote. I'm all about the Latote. I love it because it's just like a nice surprise. Even when you um, style your own like Latote box, you know what you're going to get. Like that's cool. But it's also cool when you like haven't had time to style it or you just say, ah, whatever. I'm just going to like roll the dice. And then it just shows up. And it's like, ooh, you wake up the next morning. It's like you got some brand new to wear. It's, it's pretty like Christmas every, uh, it's every pretty day. It's pretty fun. It's really, really fun. I really like it. It's awesome. So if you would like to try Latote, go to latote.com. And that is L-E. T-O-T-E.com and you can get started for as low as $39 a month. Uh, you enter promo code CRIME, crime. at checkout. <laughs> CRIME! And you will get 50% off your first month. Uh, once you sign up, you'll receive complimentary customized totes within days. Mine usually come within about two days, which yeah, is awesome. Super for New Hampshire, too, that's super fast. You choose between one or unlimited totes a month. And just wear what you want. Return everything else in the mail when you're done. And it's that easy. So enter your code CRIME. Right. Feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. Okay. I had no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> Kudos to all of you, man. It's, I feel like I have finished at a birthday surprise party. It's very exciting. I think it kind of showed why we let Kevin do it all the time. <laughs> no, you guys were great. Mixing it up behind my back, doing some ads. It's pretty exciting, man. I know. It's a good I time. Know. It's a good Crazy. time. All right, well, moving on. Uh, the other thing we're talking about this week is Ozark. Ozark is the latest Netflix original series to make a splash, both among our listeners and 
and in my house. The first season dropped earlier this summer. It stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney as Marty and Wendy Bird, a couple who flee to the Missouri Ozarks in a last-ditch attempt to launder hundreds of millions of dollars for a Mexican drug cartel. The series has been compared to Breaking Bad, perhaps unfairly, because while it does revolve around a seemingly regular guy breaking the law, it also breaks the familiar formula of crime and family dramas on many fronts, and I think those fronts are what's worth talking about. So, that Breaking Bad comparison, I just want to get it out there and get rid of it. It has been the subject of a lot of the reviews of the of Ozark and it's been a lot of like the talking points around it I've seen Jason Bateman like on the Today Show and they're like people say this is like the new Breaking Bad I think it's unfair because Breaking Bad was singular in the same way that Mad Men is singular and as every show in the 60s is going to be compared to Mad Men it's a different show with a pretty different premise Yes, there are similarities. I don't know. Am I alone in that? What do you think, Kevin, about this inevitable Breaking Bad comparison? I don't think necessarily think it's a bad comparison. Um, I think maybe there's a kind of genre, subgenre here, of, and maybe it's, you know, good guy forced to do bad things. It's kind of noir in that sense. I, I think that maybe it's just probably the easiest comparison people can grab. You've got a, you know, a likable straight arrow kind of guy who gets uh, caught up in a a world of crime, but they are very different characters and it's a very different story. Yeah, I guess for me, I guess that the log, needing to have that log line, mm-hmm. it's tough for me because then I go into it with an expectation and I'm set up to be disappointed like from the start. You know what I'm talking about, Toby? Like this happens a lot with books and with movies too, right? Where it's like there's the the paragon that everything is compared to. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't re- read much about it beforehand and by much I mean anything. So <laughs> I didn't like realize that that was that was part of the thing, but when I started watching it and I I watched some of Breaking Bad but but not a ton. It reminded me of Weeds as well. And I think there's yeah. this genre where they identify who's going to be watching it which is going to be, for the most part, Caucasian, middle-class people about our age. The whole kind of premise is that you can be like a person like us and like totally deal with the underworld, Mm -hmm. you know? Like if you had to, you could totally cope and, you know, deal with drug dealers and and do all this stuff. So it's kind of like like a little fantasy in sort of the same way that teenagers read like – you know, these dystopian fantasies about Katniss Everdeen and stuff. Yeah. It's like you, you sort of see yourself being put in this position. And that's kind of what makes it, I think, compelling for sort of your typical pay cable station watcher. But there's nothing wrong with the genre, right? Like that's not a problem in and of itself. Just the fact that there is this genre. No, no. I mean, I think I think the only problem and, and I'm, I'm going to confess that I have been binging this as fast as I could, but I was on vacation. So in the Ozarks. Um, so I haven't seen the whole thing, but it does like one of my criticisms of it would be like, you kind of feel like you've seen it before in some ways. And, and maybe there's some crazy twists that happen later, but I wasn't seeing any ground being broke. Mm. You know, it seemed it was very well acted. The writing's good. How far did you get? I don't know. Four. Oh, four okay. out of the ten. Oh, I I will yeah. say, Toby, and you. I'm not asking you to not participate in the rest of this discussion, but a lot of the shit that goes down in the show happens after episode three, four. A lot of the things that make it to me different yep. and distinctive 
happen afterwards. But, mm. but you know, I'm not going to say you can't be critical as a result of that because – but I, I do think that I may share some of your criticisms if I had watched – Mm-hmm. Through that point in the series, Toby does make a good point about sort of it's really made for the viewer to start thinking about like what would happen. Whereas we have like these caper movies where it's about you know things like Ocean's Eleven or The Sting, where people other than us, other than us, and the the uh, the story is driven by the operation and the how do they do it, and that's what's entertaining. There are like Breaking Bad and Weeds and Ozarks, it's like, okay, you, regular suburban person sitting on your couch, if you were thrust into this situation, how would you survive? What would you do? Could you go and threaten somebody? Could you come up with a plan to launder millions of dollars? You know, those are the things that it has in common. And if it gets you to think about, oh, if I was in that situation, I don't know what I would do. Uh, Or maybe I would do this and you get twisted and turned around again. Then that's what makes it entertaining. Now, Laura, there's one thing that I love about this show. I love the cast, first of all. We should just say the cast of this show is awesome. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Jason Bateman, Laura Linney. Uh, Ruth, the actress, Julie Garner, who Mm -hmm. you might know from the Americans, Julia Garner, incredible, just really well-rounded cast of some unknowns and some known actors. The other thing I love about this show is, to me, the big format breaker is that keeping the money laundering a secret is not part of the tension of this drama. It's like, Mm -hmm. what, the second, first or second episode where they just... They tell everybody like what they're doing. The kids know. The mother tells the kids. The b- people just sort of like spill it all the time. It's just sort of like, yeah, your dad's laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel, you know. And it, yeah. it takes that tension off the table, freeing us to enjoy other tensions. Laura, did you feel the same way as I did that that was format breaking for this? Yeah, and and it was interesting how the whole family was brought into it. Like, I love the little boy who's like researching everything on the internet and watching the videos of what the drug cartel does to people. You know, because that could have been a whole thing where it was like the secret, nobody should know, we're going to keep it from the kids, we're going to keep it from the wife. But that opened the door to all these other things like the really evil people who were raising the poppies up on the mountain like they were just crazy you know and then you have the whole clan that's living out on the river being led by Ruth and so I think you know all these sort of side characters became a much to me bigger part of the story than the whole money laundering portion of the story Um, but it was just the whole series I loved it because it was just so dark it yeah. was just a very dark, even though you've got, you know, Jason Bateman, who looks like Mr. All-American. I mean, it is a very dark show. And that's that's what really kept me going with this. Dark, but kind of fun, right? In a weird way. Yeah, but fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's what you're saying. Like, it's not like a groundbreaking. Yeah, it's not like something we haven't seen before. But that wasn't the point. This was an entertaining summer show, a right. summer thriller that's entertaining that you don't have to think too much about, but it's really good and you want to keep watching the next episode because it's very well done. And it's a it's a crazy plot of all these other, you know, the preacher on the water. I mean, you've got all sorts of just very fascinating characters that come in and the action just keeps moving as this goes on and the suspense keeps coming up as it keeps going on. So it was a really fun thing to watch. But I want to describe it as light, you know, either, you know, it's compelling and that's what drives it. But it's not because it's like a beach read kind of thing. You do have to watch it and, and there's tension and, you know, there's still some deeper 
uh, symbolism and metaphor that's out there if you want to get it. It does grab you. You know, if I have to ever watch another one of these that has a strip club in it. <laughs> I, so that was one thing where I was like, is this is this seriously going to happen? Mm-hmm. That is like the most cliched possible thing. And I don't know if it's so they can throw a little nudity in there or it's because strip clubs seem really seedy and it's a way to add seediness. I actually think there's a practical reason. It is because strip clubs are used to launder money like in every criminal enterprise because it's a cash business. It's guys throwing dollars on a stage. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not laundering ones. (laughs) It's the cover, the twenty dollar cover. You're laundering that. defer to your your expertise on strip clubs <laughs> <laughs> it, it does actually turn into a different thing though right laura it's the tip of the iceberg yes the strip club that you saw at the beginning that is just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> of a whole lot of shit going down that's all i can say it is it's a necessary vehicle for to drive the plot it's a necessary vehicle for the uh, character of ruth to, to grow and turn into a different character now does it need to be a strip club no. in order for that no, to sure happen? no it didn't need to be a strip club it was a shortcut in a you know maybe one season series certainly it was a writing could have shortcut. been like a small like off the books casino or something sure could have been that if casino gambling is legal in missouri which it is not as they point out later in the series the- i think some of these questions may be answered by the time you well get this to was my point yeah. is that this is this show is like an un- it's, it's like a blooming onion at like a fast food chain restaurant right mm-hmm. like you think it's one thing and the outside and i have since i started tweeting about this show this is one of the rare shows kevin that you and i binge watched in two days yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like we don't do that. Usually like even when we love a show, we'll you know, watch it over a week or whatever, but it was like a Saturday I wasn't feeling great. We watched the last like 10 episodes like or 8 episodes like in one day. So we got the full package wow. together and it felt yeah. like every episode and it's rare got better and better and better and deeper and richer and more interesting in a way that was incredibly surprising. And the cliche stuff at the beginning, like the family packing the car and moving across country and the guy having the breakdown in the woods, like that stuff that we've seen a million times before, you kind of forget it all by the time you get to like episode six, episode seven. And one of the reasons why is because with the absence of that secrecy conflict, instead we have the conflict of multiple villains. Uh, we have this sort of sense of play stuff. But let's just talk about the multiple villains briefly, Kevin. You have right. the regular hillbillies. You have the, this, family. The, the scary hillbillies, the Snells, as Laura alluded to, the scary mm-hmm. poppy-growing family. You have the kind of psycho and kind of sympathetic FBI agent who's obsessed with taking Marty down. Mm-hmm. And over it all, you have the incredibly intimidating, super scary cartel dude, played by Isai Morales, who you know will just slit everybody's throat given the opportunity. Right. So you have like a tax on multiple fronts. And you also have the tension at the the blue, is it the blue cat? Yeah. You also have, there's, you know, still domestic tension between the kids and the family and whatnot. The husband and wife? Yeah, even though everybody in the family knows that dad is laundering money. Uh, and and the kids want to know, well, what exactly does that mean? Come on downstairs, Johnny. I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> there's still lots of conflict. And it seems like every time he's got like one plan that's going to fix everything, something else goes wrong. Well, that plan works, but then he's in a new plan for some other problem. And then you have the very interesting characters of the preacher and his wife, which is a whole other layer. Um, now, Laura, one of the things that I complain a lot about in media is just sexism and portrayal of women. And this was a huge complaint that I'm not alone in having about Breaking Bad, like maybe the greatest series of its 
kind was the portrayal of Skylar White in that series, the wife who was in the dark for a long period of time and then wasn't in the dark and basically portrayed as the foil for Walter White the entire series. And in this show, we have Laura Linney, who is like one of the greatest actresses working for the last two decades or more, playing a wife who we learn is not just part of the story, but an integral part of the story. Do you feel relief like I do when you see the wife, I'm putting this in air quotes right now, the wife in a story like this that was built by, directed by, produced by Jason Bateman, that he cast somebody like so superior to him acting wise and the character is just written so well. Do you feel like this great like feminist relief that I feel when you see a character like this on the screen? I don't know if I feel like a great feminist relief, but I definitely felt like she was one of the characters to me that really made this show because she did such a good job with this role. And the character was was had so many layers. I mean, in the beginning, you know, you're just like, okay, this is the woman who's having an affair. And then you start to get some of her backstory about what her career was before children. But then you really start to see her strength when they do arrive in Ozarks, things are going down and she's, you really start to see this character grow and become stronger and become much more confident and become much more resilient amidst everything that's going on. You know, she ends up getting her job with the real estate person. She's going around looking for houses, um, you know, hiding money in the wall. It feels feels like she's being revealed, not that she's evolving. You know what I mean? It feels like we're seeing what she's made of in a way that is unusual. Can we talk about Ozark Bingo for just a second? Oh, you love Ozark Bingo. You love it. It's like your favorite part of the show. So, Even though it's kind of dumb, like you love it. Yeah. So for those who've seen the show, they know in the opening credits, they show a big O for Ozark, and then they kind of quarter it up, and, and there's like four little Icon. drawings of oh, icons Icon, of yeah. something. And it, it has to do with that you'll see in that episode. And so we would do, we would memorize what they were, and like one would be um, a security camera, and one would be a gun, and another would be a stack of money, and the other would be a pizza. A pizza, right? And you're like, <laughs> okay, like and we watch and we go, pizza. There it is, you know. And we're waiting for all the it's the cowboy boot. That's the cowboy boot. <laughs> I didn't even know. I did not even know that there were different symbols. I'm so out of it when I was I watching said, this. How did you know this? <laughs> I think with the, the, I, I don't know. That? I think the second time. I, well, I think you know when the one where you see like the the stripper legs. So Kevin was watching the show like it was Dora the Explorer, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Padlock. Uh, one final thing. Gun. Heroin. Padlock. Handgun. Heroin. A quick casting question for you, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, the actress who plays Ruth, Julia Garner. Mm-hmm. The character obviously develops a lot, evolves a lot. The actress is great. Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Is it the actress or the character there? The actress. She deserves a good, you know, best supporting actress in right. the drama. The other thing that I want to mention in terms of casting is kids. Toby, how sick are you of seeing like bad actors playing boring kids on shows, like in a one to ten scale? I love that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I think the kids on this show are very, very good. And I think that that is rare and it should be done more. And I don't know. I feel like it's lazy when they cast normal kids and they're boring characters. You know, I've actually been like Stranger Things. I thought those kids were good actors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's they're clearly they're good actors, too. I mean, they're 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 on the screen with top, top adult actors. And you don't get the feeling that they're not equals 
kudos. <laughs> kudos to the kids. The kids and the Americans, too, by the way. Great kid actors, and they turn into great young adult actors, right? True. It's hard like to Jason kids. Bateman himself. Justine Bateman's younger brother. Yeah. Yes, Ricky Shore's friend from Silver Spoons. Uh, he was on the show Valerie. It was originally Valerie, and then and Valerie's family. Valerie's family, yeah, and yeah. then it was the Hogan family. Yeah. He was on that show. Yeah. yeah, and of course, this was all pre-Arrested Development. Then he disappeared for many years, and then it was Arrested Development. But anyway, Jason Bateman is adorable, as we all know. Uh, one thing I want to acknowledge, because a couple of listeners wrote to us about it, the sense of place, as much as I loved Wikipediaing the Lake of the Ozarks after they mentioned it on the show and like learning all about that region. Uh, some listeners did complain that the accents were not authentic in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the wrong part of the Ozarks. But as somebody who lives in the Northeast, sorry, guys, I don't care about that because I don't know anything about it. And I know that's ignorant and stupid, but that's how I feel. But well, we get much angrier about Ray Donovan. Yes, Ray. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, let's just go around the horn, Toby, with your limited uh, watching of Ozark. First of all, will you keep watching it? And would you recommend to our listeners that they check it out at this point where you've gotten in the series? What do you think, Tobes? Well, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to hustle this along so I can go downstairs and watch the next episode with my wife. All right. <laughs> so you'll keep watching. So, yes, yeah, so I'm going to continue watching. Yeah. What about you, Laura? Would you recommend Ozark to our listeners? And are you going to watch ep- season two if there is a season two, which I believe there will be, correct? There is. Yeah. I have been recommending the show to everybody. I loved it. I mean, we've got toenails. We've got baptism baby potential issues. We've got jason bateman's butt mm-hmm. i mean come on people there's, there's a lot of fun stuff in this show i haven't so come to that I, part I would... yet netflix's best new show is called ozark this place has everything <laughs> toenails <laughs> jason bateman's butt <laughs> baptism <laughs> Yeah, I really liked it too. I think that it breaks format enough that it is really satisfying. There's a storyline with a teenage daughter and sex that I loved and I thought it was done really, really well. That sounds weird. Uh, It was just done really well in a way that other shows don't do. So in that way, it's brave. There's a story about religion that's brave and done really, really well. To me, the higher plot points, the money laundering, the villains are not as important as all of the great things this show does, like the duck treading water under the water. And I highly recommend it for that reason. Swipe those Breaking Bad comparisons right or left, whichever way is the bad left. one, yeah. and uh, check out Ozark on Netflix. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I think people uh, should stick with it. I, I think it's very entertaining, and again, it's another look into the criminal world that uh, you probably don't know an awful lot about, and uh, j- you know, for that alone uh, would be entertained. You know, if you really wanted to launder money at the Blue Cat, you know, he could buy all those Brooklyn and sheets <laughs> because the IRS would totally believe that these are $1,000 sheets. Totally. And he could just, you know, be able to launder it by inflating the price. They feel like $1,000 sheets be- for sure. Because Brooklinen.com makes quality sheets and bedding at a price that are seriously underpriced. Totally. Brooklinen has sheets that come in versatile colors and patterns that complement just about any decor. We're talking about luxury bedding underpriced and you have to try these sheets uh we have a, a pair we actually got another we got two pairs we have two sets because i had to have another one because i love them so much you know it sounds silly to say oh it, it changes the way you sleep but man like when I mean, you slide into bed 
you know, with these nice sheets on, it really does sort of make it feel like, hmm, I'm, 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 a little, I'm a little feeling a little bit like a king here. Can I get here. a personal testimony right now? Yeah. Right now I have this stupid foot injury, plantar fasciitis, and I have to wear this stupid boot to bed every night, which makes going to bed and being in bed, like, kind of an unpleasant endeavor because it's just stupid. Mm-hmm. I look at these sheets and I like am so excited. Like, and when I walk into a room at night, I'm like, ah, I get to sleep between these sheets. They feel that good. They have helped me overcome the shame of my stupid boot, and I'm just loving them so much. They're cool. They're crisp. They look sharp. They're perfect. You guys know what Rebecca's talking about. You have Brooklyn and sheets. I love them. It's like sleeping at a fancy hotel every night when I go to bed. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome. I love their pillowcases because I have they're they're fancy pillowcases. They actually tuck in at the end, yes. so your entire mm-hmm. pillow is covered. They're well designed, which is very nice. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they're they're awesome. My sister was visiting this weekend. I told her to check them out, and then. Uh, she went and ordered some. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I hope she used promo code CRIME at brooklyn.com where she could get 20% off and free shipping. <laughs> yes, I believe she did. <laughs> Kevin. In fact, Brooklyn is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they'll offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty for all of their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try. So the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CRIME. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, what makes me want to, like, rest my head at night is having done a really good workout during the day. Yeah, I know that about you. Yeah, and that's why... Why are you laughing at me? It's aspirational. It's It's aspirational. (laughs) Okay, okay, maybe... Maybe I kind of look like the before picture right now, but I'm (laughs) really... Me too, by the way. Yeah, but... Beachbody On Demand is going to help me with that. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your own needs. So it gives you the, the ability to stream from over 600 different workouts, different kinds from, from top trainers with step-by-step guides, workout calendars, comprehensive nutrition plans, and motivation and support from a growing community, Beachbody On Demand is the total package. I like the fact that they have, uh, you know, a group online, you know, get together, make each other accountable, give each other encouragement. Uh, I'm going to try the 21-day fix. That's one of the many different workout plans. Oh, I and want that. You want that? Can I get that too? You can get that too. You can get, you know, a whole... There's, I need to be fixed. You want the P90X? No. You, I, want what, the P, I want the 21-day fix. You want the 21-day fix? <laughs> I'm scared of the P90X. You can try this. Now, this is a brand new service, but it already has over a million members. And now you can claim a free trial membership when you text CRIME to 303030. Wow, that's different. Get full access to this entire platform for free. Just text CRIME Crime. to 303030. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime, Crime of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> Workers on the New York City subway have a complaint for management. Please stop putting dead bodies in our break rooms. <laughs> it seems that in order to keep the trains on time, anytime a body is found in the station or on a train car, the suddenly departed is immediately transported to a non-public area. 
In this case, that often means the nearest employee lunchroom or bathroom. (laughs) It can sometimes take hours for medical examiners to arrive at the station to view the deceased and determine a cause and manner of death. Meantime, unsuspecting transit workers often walk in on a corpse in the toilet and freak the fuck out. (laughs) The union says this has been going on for years. Management says... They're going to review the policies around handling these one-way passengers. Oh. So, panel, this is a pretty extreme example, but what is the worst or weirdest thing you have ever found in your break room? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Well, probably the weirdest thing that ever ended up in one of my break rooms was something that I left there. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was investigating a case um, in which the parties involved were drinking something called Mama Juana, (laughs) which is a drink from the Dominican Republic. So I decided it's also supposed to be an aphrodisiac. So I decided I was going to make some Mama Juana to see what the real story was. Now, to make it, you have to soak rum red wine, honey, and tree bark. And so I I made it and then I forgot about it and it was so disgusting Mm. sitting in the refrigerator for months. It was like toxic cough syrup. It was gross. (laughs) That was my fault. That was the worst thing that ever ended up in the break room. Toby, what about you? What's the worst or weirdest thing you've ever found in your break room? I'm still like perplexed by having an aphrodisiac in your break room (laughs) at work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. Um... I don't know. I haven't really worked in a whole lot of places with like out and out break rooms. Mm. I I worked with a guy who made ramen noodles and then he would uh, he had this pouch that was just fish heads (laughs) and he would just dump fish heads. Oh. I mean, they weren't big fish heads. They were small fish heads, but he just he dumped fish heads on his ramen noodles (laughs) and that's what he would eat. Wow. Well, that's pretty weird. That's pretty bad. Uh, I work in public radio, so the weirdest thing in our break room is like lots of rotten kale in the fridge. Exactly what you'd expect. Uh, Free recyclables that people are trying to give away. My favorite of those lately is about 500 cutout coupons for various stores and places 95% of which were expired, and the person who left them left a really earnest public radio note. I was just at my aunt who recently passed away's house and found all these coupons. If you're willing to go through them and find some that may be useful for you, they're free. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, they are free, and it's literally a pile of paper. So that's uh, what's weird about the public radio break room. What about you, Kevin? So the weirdest thing ever found in the refrigerator at the break room uh, obviously, it would have to be Sister Kathy's vagina wrapped <laughs> in a butcher paper. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That Amen. Is weird. Amen, indeed. We should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? I, I have to tell you, people responded to my call like I have never seen last time when I hadn't gotten any cats. I am overwhelmed. I almost did an iguana of this week. Those on the seacoast have been following Mr. the Jingles? story of Mr. Jingles. <laughs> The uh, iguana who bit somebody 
after he got loose, this guy tried to lasso him. Alas, Mr. Jingles is not my pet of the week. I just had to mention him because we also had a nomination for Henry J. Jingles, the gray cat who recently passed away. Yeah, so that was sad. So we have to RIP Mr. And um, Melissa Burgess's cat, Chloe, I think is going to win. Chloe the fat cat because she sleeps in the dog bed and she doesn't care what the dog thinks about that. So <laughs> I say fight the power, Chloe. Hashtag um, resist, rock Chloe. Rock on, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, she persisted, exactly. Nevertheless, Chloe persisted. So Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to reach out to you on Twitter and perhaps submit their cats for Cat of the Week... How can they do that? At Lara Bricker, and it's L-A-R-A. And by the way, we get many submissions by email as well. You can email them to crimewriterson at gmail.com. And I will forward them to Lara Bricker, I promise. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to, I don't know, talk with you about getting past episode four on Netflix Ozark, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet with you, perhaps find out what's going on in the latest episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, how can they reach you on Twitter? Find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Reb Lavoie. And you can tweet to this podcast at Crime Writers On. You can also interact with fans and with us on Facebook. Sign up for our newsletter at our website, crimewriterson.com. Of course, when you go there, you can buy stuff using our Amazon link. Man, we are overdue having Toby read some Amazon items, are we not? We are. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. Line production and promotion, regular production for Partners in Crime Media is done by the very handsome and talented Henry Lavoie. The show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, and now the place where my husband sits on a bi-weekly basis without pants. It's hot down here. Ugh. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Rebecca, what was that cereal you got that had like the almonds in it that uh, is it like honey bunches honey bunches of oats with almonds with almonds honey bunches honey bu- honey bunches bitches honey bunches in the house <laughs> this is why Meredith loves him because you're sexy when you talk about books keep going Toby this is yeah, amazing yeah super sexy about books yeah <laughs> won't have to lick the finger to turn the page <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh god that's getting cut out <laughs> You're disgusting. Go ahead, Toby. Paging all book lovers, Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal, to make sure you love what you read. Browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own. With exclusive pricing starting at just $10, you can get your favorite shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month, bound to delight. And get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers. Partners in crime media. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.